Being a chef means keeping your cool in the kitchen. And with Resi Priority Notify and Global Dining Access through my Amex Platinum card, right this way, it's nice to try someone else's food for a change. That's the powerful backing of American Express. Terms apply. Learn more at americanexpress.com slash with Amex. I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see what music does to people it gives me a lot of hope if you liked locatora before you're gonna love season nine subscribe to our show and you'll see why locatora is your prima's favorite podcast listen to locatora radio as part of the michael Cultura podcast network available on the iHeartRadio app apple podcasts or wherever you get your podcasts nfl total access the podcast is getting you ready for the 2024 nfl draft I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals. Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app. Apple Podcast or wherever you get your podcast. This is the best of the Doug Gottlieb Show on Fox Sports Radio. Boom! What up, America? Doug Gottlieb Show. Fox Sports Radio. Coming to you from the beautiful, sunny City of Angels, site of one of the Sweet 16s. We got a great show planned for you today. Jim Beheim, head coach of the Syracuse Orange, still alive, last team in, but one of the last 16 teams standing. Um, we're also going to be joined by Tom Crean, former Indiana and Marquette head coach, the new head coach of the Georgia Dogs, and uh, Rick Buecher, longtime NBA analyst, NBA scribe, will join us as well. We'll talk about LeBron. We'll talk about Steph Curry's ankle. We'll talk all Things Association. And Gotham Chopra will join us. He's the director of Tom versus Time. So we have a jam-packed, loaded show for you. Tis the season 
not just for the Sweet 16, but for declarations. Would you like to declare something, sir? Trey Young has declared for the NBA draft. As a freshman, Trey Young, from Norman, Oklahoma, played for Oklahoma, which is in Norman, Oklahoma, led the country in scoring and assists. And, uh, look, it's a there's a mixture there. Will he be drafted? Yes. Should he go now in terms of his stock being high? Sure. Is it a mistake? Yes. Not just from his perspective, but from somebody who's going to draft him. And I know what you're thinking. Gottlieb, you've been drinking the haterade. Gottlieb, didn't you learn your lesson with Steph Curry? It's a fair point. I did miss on Steph Curry. I thought he should have stayed in school an extra year. As we got closer to the draft, after what has been my maligned immediate analysis when Steph did declare, I thought the upside of Steph Curry was Jeff Hornacek. Really good NBA player, not a star. I was wrong. I was wrong. And when you look at uh, Trey Young, I told people a long time ago, He's college basketball's version of Steph Curry. But remember how many things had to go right for Steph Curry to be Steph Curry. He had injuries his first couple of years, and because of those injuries and because he played for a completely inept organization, initially, initially, wins and losses weren't that important. And shot selection was slowly but surely changed. And even that, they've been always embraced Steph being Steph. But in the first couple years, keep in mind, he was on the team with Monte Ellis and the same Golden State Warriors who championed Steph Curry's run to two straight MVPs, including unanimous MVP, offered Steph Curry in a trade. They said, hey, you can have Monte Ellis or you can have Steph Curry. And the Bucks chose Monte Ellis. So not only did the Warriors not want Steph, but the Bucs didn't want Steph. And that was after a couple years in the league. So um, here's the statement on Trey Young. He is a very good kid. There's, there are no flaws about him as a person. He's not a gangbanger. He's not a, uh, a threat to society. But somebody's going to get fired from drafting Trey Young. It is not a, it, it is, there is a strong possibility of that. Now, part of it is that guys have been, have been fired for drafting young players for a long time. And that's because what happens when you draft a young player, you play them too soon the t- because the owner's like, why do I have this guy? Well, because he's going to be good. Well, if he's going to be good, let's play him. And so you play him. And what happens? You lose, you lose, you end up getting fired. But somebody will draft Trey Young, and whoever drafts Trey Young in the lottery is going to lose their job over it. It's the, is that the hill you want to die on? Bitcoin has made a lot of people rich. There are going to be people who try and chase the next cyber, the next cyber money the next cyber coin cryptocurrency is what it's called. They're going to chase the next cryptocurrency into bankruptcy. 
This happens with people in the NCAA tournament. Uh, I got to find a 12 seed because 12 seeds always beat 15 seeds. I mean, excuse me. 12 seeds always beat five seeds. Always happens. Did it happen this year? One did not. Look, it's going to happen in the NFL. I like Baker Mayfield, but people want him to be Russell Wilson. Remember Russell Wilson's first couple years in the NFL? You know, Russell Wilson's first year as a starter. He beat out, part of it was he went to a team. They had Matt Flynn, who had signed as a free agent. And one, Matt Flynn was a bad bale of goods. They had signed a guy that couldn't play long-term as a starter. And they got him as a discount. And he was surrounded by an incredible defense. Incredible defense. And at the time, San Francisco still had not yet hit. But more than anything, when when Russell Wilson, in his first year as a starting quarterback, do you know he had nine games in which he threw for less than 200 yards as a passer? Less than 200 yards as a passer. Everybody pointed to his record. Russell Wilson was able to grow into being what we think of as a star quarterback, and he's probably somewhere between the, I don't know, 6th, 8th, to 12th best quarterback. He's darn good. But he's never, to this point, proven to be Drew Brees, proven to be Aaron Rodgers, proven to be Tom Brady. Like, the numbers belie how good, and even Richard Sherman, who's currently holding a press conference as a now cornerback with the San Francisco 49ers, called him out as such. Like, he's good. let's not go all, all crazy here about how good Russell Wilson is. But people want Baker Mayfield to be the next Russell Wilson, to be the next Drew Brees, because he's small, he's super smart in terms of football IQ, he's tough, he's got a good arm, and you're like, yeah, that's the guy. Look, Russell Wilson has a good enough arm to play professional baseball. Drew Brees is a once-in-a-generation quarterback in terms of his size and ability to throw. He's a first-ballot Hall of Famer. You going to die on that hill? You going to chase the next cryptocurrency? Look, here's the thing with Trey Young. Since February 1st, in the last 11 games he played of college basketball, he shot 36% from the field, 26% from three-point range. In 11 games, he also averaged nearly six turnovers a game. He turns over a bunch, holds on to the ball a bunch, and though he lit up college basketball before people had a scout on him, once people figured out that he was dominating the basketball and made him go left and made him shoot over the top, he struggled. And college basketball is down talent-wise. I'm not saying he won't play in the NBA, but somebody's going to invest their fortune in him as their cryptocurrency, thinking he's... Steph Curry's Bitcoin. Okay. Steph Curry, that investment paid off for the Golden State Warriors. There were some other things that went his way. And there's a chance, I'm not saying there's zero chance, there's a chance that Trey Young could become a smaller, slightly less athletic version who ball, dominates the ball a little bit more. But he can't and doesn't defend. He has to have the ball and he turns it over a lot. And though he. The, the idea is he's a great shooter. The numbers tell you that's not, in fact, the case. By any statistical measure, he was awful at the part of the season where he's supposed to be playing like a sophomore in his freshman year. 
And because we missed on Bitcoin, because we missed on Russell Wilson, because we missed on Steph Curry, because we missed on a guy, we're going to chase 15 others that look kind of similar, maybe sort of like him. And I'm telling you, it's a good way to get yourself fired. Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Hall of Fame coach at his alma mater has won a national championship, and they've gone from what we were told was last team in to one of the last 16 standing. He's Jim Beheim, head coach of the Syracuse Orange. Coach, um, take me back to Selection Sunday. You knew that the deck was at least partially stacked against you based upon all the bracketologists and analysts like myself. Did you did you think you were getting in the NCAA tournament? Well, I listened to Jerry Palm. <laughs> he had us in, so I said, "Oh, well, we must be getting in." No, you know, I thought it was really close. Um, I, I thought it would be really close. The problem now, there's about seven or eight teams that are really close. It used to be one or two. Now there's probably seven or eight teams, and a couple of the mid majors are not going to have the qualifications that the committee's looking for. But I think the biggest mistake of all that was made, and, you know, Joe Lenardi and I talked to a couple other people that did this, the committee has shown clearly this is what we want. And if you don't do it, you're not going to get in the tournament. As simple as that. And I remember even with you, and I think you're very smart about this normally, a few years ago we were 10-8 and in the Big East, but we had a non-conference, week non-conference schedule 180. And you said for four weeks we shouldn't be in the tournament based on that. Right. Now this year you're saying Oklahoma State should be in. Their non-conference strength of schedule was 305. Yeah. So you did an, a complete double take from where you were uh, just a few short years ago. And the committee has said if you're a bubble team, and obviously all these teams were bubble teams, and you can make a case for Oklahoma State, Notre Dame, Middle Tennessee, St. Mary's. You can make a case for each one of those teams. But when you look at non-conference strength of schedule, it knocks them all out of there. I, I, most I, of them. I, I, would say, I would say the, you're, you're absolutely right, and that's why they didn't make it. And I actually didn't. I didn't think Oklahoma State was getting in. I would say that the, the flaw in the numbers has always been this. And, and maybe this is, this is knowing, the, knowing the game and knowing what you guys do in terms of schedule too well. Like, look, you play six or seven games, you're going to win regardless, right? Whether you And you have to play more guarantee games because for years at home because of football, because yeah. you guys generate so much more money. There's no question about that. So, so the idea is, what do you do in those other four and five games? Like, they played A&M, they played Wichita State, they played Florida State, they played Pittsburgh, a league rival who had a, a, a yeah. really bad year, obviously. Yeah. Yeah. So they, it, it, wasn't, it wasn't one of those where they tried to play Sisters of the Poor 11 times and go, hey— no, no, it's not that. You really have to be, we have to get six, six or seven by games as well, but right. we got Toledo, Eastern Michigan, Oakland, Buffalo. And all those teams were good this year. Obviously, Buffalo was better than anyone might have thought, but Toledo and Oakland and Eastern Michigan all had great years. And then our other games that we had, obviously Maryland was down a little bit, but still it's a good game. Um, Georgetown was down a little bit, but it was at Georgetown. Obviously Connecticut was down, but we tried to play nine teams like that. The only two teams we didn't, which we played every year for 40 years, is Cornell and, and Colgate. Right. And they were better than they've been in a long time. 
so we were a little bit fortunate in that. Um, but you know, we had a non-conference strength of schedule of eighteen. No, no. Listen, I had I actually because since you've broken up from the Big East, it's actually helped. And you know, you guys leave home now to play, where you went through a little like a five-year yeah. thing where you, where you didn't. But since you've broken up with the Big East, usually playing Georgetown, playing UConn, uh, those are hard-fought games, and yeah. those those help. My issue actually was in conference. You know, you had you had you got Wake twice, you lost once, you got Pitt twice. That helps your kind of artificially inflate your win. Everybody be Pitt this year, right? Mm-hmm. You only and you only got Duke once. You didn't get Duke on your home floor, which I thought hurt you because your your shot of beating Duke would have been better. Obviously, playing absolutely. In, in well, the, we played Virginia twice, right? Yeah. And 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 lost twice. Um, whatever. Yeah. What's 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 done is done. But I my my big t- take was. I watched your team play a great deal, and I just never thought, okay, now. Now they have gotten it. You have so many young players, and there were so many games to which I I never felt like I could watch and say, that's an NCAA tournament team. Well, I I think it just depends. I mean, we beat Clemson. Clemson's in the Sweet 16. Sure. Um, They're pretty good. We lost in overtime at Florida State. In overtime, we had a two-point lead with 18 seconds to go. So they're in the Sweet 16. So I think, you know, we showed what we could do in, in, against good teams on the road and, and at home. But we were a bubble team. There's no doubt about it, no question about it. But our strength of schedule got us in. That's the bottom line. And I've argued in the past a little bit about strength of schedule because I think Middle Tennessee and St. Mary's are good teams, but sure. those teams are never going to have the wins they need to get. They have to win their league, and you know it's you can argue about that, and I would argue about that, but that's the facts. You know you have to, and the one thing I give Gonzaga credit for, if they were not to beat St. Mary's this year, they would have gotten the tournament because they had three really good non-conference wins. They play five or six people every year, non-conference, big people. Well, no, they're they're also they're Gonzaga. They're 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 different than they. I mean, they nearly won a national championship last yeah. year. They've they've elevated themselves. But, but they've always played those games. Sure, no, they've no, and, and that's and that's what's that's what separated them. Some yeah. of it, I don't know what, what, what was it was cart before horse. You know, which did they win yeah. the game? Did they they win NCAA tournament games and then get that schedule? And you know, they've taken advantage of the fact that 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 people want to see them on TV, and they've always played those games, and you get enough of them, and it. It allows you to not win your conference. Jim Beheim, head coach of Syracuse. Let's actually talk about this tournament because crazy. Crazy. It, it is crazy. <laughs> but I, I think there's you defended Tony Bennett, and of course I I agree with you. But it's interesting. He, he's getting criticized because people say, "Hey, look, you can't play that slow and win big in the tournament." Whereas I'm watching your team, and the beauty to how you've been able to win with this team is long possessions on yeah. offense and making people take their time against your zone defense and take shots under pressure, isn't it It's a different way of getting the same result? Exactly. I mean, if you look at Villanova winning the national championship with you know, the great upset, they, they took their time, they played zone. Uh, you win with defense in the tournament. Now, you have to play some offense, too. And if we don't play offense going forward better, we won't win. But... You can make a case that many champions have won with their defense, mainly. And you, but you do have to play offense. The, problem, the only problem I had, the only 
surprise for me this year. Virginia was noticeably better offensively, but they were better offensively because of Hunter. Yeah. We played them in Charlottesville. We're ahead the whole first half. Hunter comes in the game, gets 12 points in the first half. So we're down about four. Now he's out of the game. We come back pretty even in the second half in Charlottesville. He comes back in and scores seven points, and we end up losing by about eight eight points. But he had 19 points. He was the complete difference in the game. I'm not saying that would have happened against UMBC. Once in a while there's an outlier game in this tournament. Whoever thought Texas A&M, like three, remember three weeks ago, whoever thought they would beat North Carolina by 20 points. Yeah. You, you, mean, know, you, know, you know what he did? He did a Jim Beheim. He did exactly what you, when you had Arinzi and Oahu, right? Yeah. Arinzi was hurt, yeah. and you wouldn't tell anybody whether or not he was going to play in the tournament. It was it was a state secret. Like, is Arinzi on Waka going to play? There's well, no chance. There was hoped. no chance he was going to play, no, coach. We hoped. We hoped okay. he would. And so we didn't find out that DeAndre Hunter wasn't playing until the Monday of the tournament. And of course, nobody made any adjustment to their seed. They won the ACC, won the ACC tournament. Of course. Meanwhile, he can't play. They weren't really a one seed without him. And they that would ultimate- have still been given a one seed, even if that had been known. But the, but but truth be told, they weren't nearly, now maybe not as good. They also weren't as versatile without him. And and that no no question. But I, you no one would have ever thought that they would lose to UMBC. It was unfortunately it's a game that happens in this tournament to somebody um, almost every year. You know, the, there's other game there's other games in this tournament this year that you would have never. I mean, how does Cincinnati lose a 22-point lead. You just can't see that coming. Uh, you really almost can't see Xavier losing a 12-point lead. I mean, there's things in this tournament that are now happening that are new for and, and will continue to go forward, I think, because these teams are really much, much better that are lower seeds, and the higher seeds are not quite as good as they used to be. I completely agree with you. I think also not as deep as they used to be, right? That's the big, yeah. you, you know this because like, here's what you run into. You got a great recruiting class coming in. Yeah. Plus you got your son sitting out, but, but now, you know, your, your two best players because of your success in the tournament, it's going to be hard to keep Brissett battle in school and not, not going to the NBA draft. So they either, if they play and they play well, they go to the NBA yeah. and if they don't play, they get mad and they transfer out. So nobody has it. And, and the one parallel between both Cincinnati and Xavier, Cumberland fouls out for Cincinnati, and they, they don't have any depth. And yep. Mercura gets in foul trouble, fouls out. And Xavier has some depth, but they don't have J.P. Mercura, uh, a senior four-year starter, and they end up collapsing. Isn't that maybe as much as the top-end talent is younger, it's also the lack of depth that's changed? Well, if you lose your best player, it really doesn't matter if you have depth. It's going gonna, it's gonna to be a problem. And that's always true in the tournament. It's part of the tournament. It's part of any game you play. When your best player gets in foul trouble, you got problems. But uh, I, I think, you know, with our guys, um, our guys are pretty committed to staying for another year. I think that uh, anything's possible. I never, I never doubt that anything could happen. But I think players are starting to see that if you're not a top ten pick, you're going to be in the D League next year or the G League. There's just no space up there for anybody except the really gifted players. And, 
they did a study the last five years ago. All the guys in the second half of the draft are out of the league now. I mean, they're not even in the league. So it's it's. I think kids are starting to see it's like I need to go. Be- I need to get better and go into the league as a higher draft pick. I agree with you. Jim Beheim joining us, the Hall of Fame coach of the Syracuse Orange. They get ready to take on the Duke Blue Devils, who have they haven't borrowed. They have stolen your zone. I know. Well, they, they, they changed it up a little bit, and it's in some ways it's better because they're so darn big and strong and physical inside and, and even at the guard spot. Why didn't you trademark You should have trademarked it. They, I, they, I know. You should have trademarked I, it. I, I don't Pat Riley that. trademarks the three-peat. You should have tra- trademarked the zone. I'd like to... I'd like to have not them. I'd like to have them not playing zone. Actually, we've been pretty good against zones this year, even though we're challenged offensively. We exception the exception being at Duke, we had a horrific game there, but uh, offensively. But we uh, we played pretty good against zones this year, so I'm I'm optimistic that we'll play better against their zone. But their zone's just big. I mean, they're so big and strong, uh, they can get you to take a tough shot and they and you're not getting against like against most zones you can get some offensive rebounds not so much against them they're really a good rebounding team out of a zone and that's always a weakness against a zone we've been better at it this year although we got murdered on the boards i've never said i never i mean the statistics are crazy in winning that that michigan state game uh truth be told your zone is not a two three right it's at like a two two (laughs) One isn't it? Yeah, I mean, isn't that the it, truth it to it? It's like a two-two-one, but it's it's a combination of a two-three and a matchup. We kind of combine both, but uh, it's uh, it, it's not quite as good as these teams have made it look. But it, I mean, it's still a pretty good defense. It's a very good defense. Is it in people? Does it get? Do you think it got into Michigan State's head? You know, you you never know. It's hard to talk to think, but it, they they got a little bit tight sometimes playing at home even a home game if you're late in the game and you you know you you're supposed to win you think you're supposed to win you start to tighten up a little bit on the three-point shot but um and that that does i've seen that happen it happens to teams uh the one advantage of playing a zone at the end of the games you don't hopefully you don't foul them as much as you would in a man-to-man to give them easy free throws and you force them to take outside shots where you don't foul and uh you know sometimes it works it doesn't work all the time or we don't want a heck of a lot more games this year no. than we did but uh, our zone's gotten a little better you know we're playing four f- new plus three fresh four freshmen in the front line out of five and the fifth is a junior who didn't play last year at all or the year before so we're young up there it's a really young team in the front line and you know, our guards, we talk about being veterans, but one's a sophomore and the other's a junior who just is starting for the first time this year. So I'm proud of what these guys, that they've done really well. And, and you know, it's hard in the tournament. You, If Arizona State makes a shot at the end of the game, we're home, and and people are saying, well, they're not really, they really weren't that good. So it's a, it's a funny game. It's a, It's just, it's a heartbreaking game. I mean, I see teams go home with a Michigan made one of the toughest shots I've ever seen in an NCAA tournament game uh, to send somebody home, and, and the and the poor kid missed two free throws at the other end that would have clinched the game. Yep. So I always feel bad for those teams, those kids, and you know you see last second shots go in or go out. 
uh, it, it's just such a heartbreaking tournament. It really is. It's just, it's, uh, <laughs> it's hard to, to, to figure. I mean, if the NBA had a one-game playoff, there'd be a lot of years the best team would not win. Okay, so is this a good way to decide a champion? You well, know, 15 years ago, you won your championship. It's the only way. It's the only way we can do it. Um, and, you know, we're stuck with this. <laughs> it's, it's the way we do it. And uh, it's, it's great theater. I think most of the time uh, the best team gets there. But every once in a while, the best teams don't get there. And I guess that's just the nature of the tournament. When you play a one-game you have one. It's just like Tiger Woods. You got four rounds of golf. He, he's not winning all four. You know, he's winning some of them, but he's not winning all four. And uh, in this thing, I think the Warriors, Golden State Warriors, lost the first game of the year. They won the championship in the playoffs. And the Spurs, one year, they lost their first game in the playoffs, and they won the won the, the championship. So it's hard. It's hard when it's sudden death. Last, last thing, um, Tyus has become your like your, your Jerry McNamara, right? Like yeah. all three of these games, he's hit big shots. Actually, I thought the biggest one against Michigan State, they got a dunk and you were down five, you call a timeout, yeah. and he, he got an and one out of the timeout. Yeah. That, that stabilized. But all three games, he's gone one-on-one, the left side of the court, and he hit, him, hit, yeah. he hit a deep mid-range pull-up. Yeah. Yeah. Um, is, that, is that something he has inside of himself, something you say to him, something his, his, the staff has said to him? Where no. does that come from? He's got it. He's got. He did it at Florida State. He did it against Georgetown. Remember, we were down three at Georgetown late in the game. Would have been done. That would have knocked us out of the tournament. And he made a three to put it into overtime. So he's done that all year. He's he's he makes that shot. I hope we're in the same situation soon. <laughs> you should have trademarked the zone. Congratulations on the three wins. Thanks, uh, good luck against Duke, and thanks for joining us. Thank you. Appreciate all right, that's Bye. Jim. Jim Beheim joining us on the Doug Gottlieb Show. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. Remember last year in the NBA Finals when they were down three games to one? LeBron was asked if he was tired. He said this. Are we tired? I don't know. People's. No, that people. to me when, you know, no. that's the question I've been answering. Nah, I feel radio great. Shows. <laughs> I'm averaging a triple-double in the finals. I don't, I'm, I'm pretty good, I, I would think. Yeah, it, that's a it's not me, it's them sort of stuff. Yep, that's what it is. It's not me, it's them. And that's what he did last night. He didn't have the blues because Tyron Lue wasn't there as his head coach. He didn't appear lost. He was empowered by it. Which leads you to think like, hey, maybe Tyron Lue was holding back a little bit. Maybe Tyron Lue was overcoaching a little bit. Maybe part of that stress was that he was doing too much instead of just let LeBron be LeBron. Let LeBron coach the team. And so because of it, he will get no blame when they lose, right? LeBron has shown his greatness. No one's arguing with him. He's great, talented, incredibly, incredibly talented and efficient, maybe more efficient now than at any point in his career. But he has this weird thing that no star player has ever had. When he loses, it's never his fault. They lost to the Spurs in the finals early on in his career. Was that 07, 08? 
Look at that roster. Wasn't his fault. Right? The only time it was his fault was against the Dallas Mavericks. When people were like, oh, this might be his fault. Ever since then, and they lost to the Spurs this last year in Miami. That wasn't his fault. No. They lost, and I think it's actually fair, this first year with the Cavs when when they lost, they didn't have Kevin Love and didn't have Kyrie Irving. That wasn't his fault. Last year when they lost, this team wasn't as good. That wasn't his fault. But this year when the trades were made, it was because there was bad chemistry. Remember, he had the worst plus minus in the league, but it wasn't his fault. It was because they had bad chemistry and the other guys couldn't play defense. And what we're setting ourselves up for now, man, I just pressed a, a Surrey. Surrey's recording everything I said. And we found out what last night reestablished is if and when, it's really more when, Cavs lose this year, I think it'll be his fault. Tyron Lue wasn't healthy. Kevin Love's not really a number two. The roster's not really that good. Like, none of this is ever his fault. And I've never seen anything like it. I played um, in two different tournaments for um, Larry Brown's brother. Okay, Herb Brown is a former NBA head coach, longtime NBA assistant. And he told me once that, uh, look, when you're point guard, when somebody makes a mistake and it's not your fault, that's the time which you say, my bad. You hit somebody right in the hands of the pass and it goes through their hands, it goes out of bounds. You turn to them and go, my bad. You take the pressure off everybody else around you because that's what true leadership is. The opposite of what LeBron does. Right? You look, you watch some of these great coaches and the player will screw it up and they come over to the sideline and the coach will go, hey, that's my fault. I didn't. I clearly didn't communicate to you exactly what I wanted. Because I, I, I wrote down on the whiteboard exactly where you're supposed to be and you didn't go there, but that's not your fault, that's on me. Because either we didn't work on it or I wasn't clear enough in where exactly I wanted you. Not your fault, that's my fault. It's like a great leadership technique or great, Ramos, you coach kids. I, I, I'd say this to my son all the time. My son had this breakdown moment on Saturday where he struck out. And he's doing this thing over stride. Like he's taking too long a stride in swinging a baseball bat. And he's been doing it now for uh, probably a year. And, you know, we've, we've tried different techniques in shortening up his stride. When we shorten up his stride, he hits everything. You know, he's kind of fooling with the bat. So he's late to load. And then he takes too big a stride. So late to load makes the swing late. And then when you take a big stride, it, it'll create a hole in your swing and it'll make your swing longer. All of these things are bad if you're the youngest kid on your team and you end up playing catch-up. You either foul things off or you're just behind them. And you can never hit a high pitch. And so he was crying and he said the sweetest thing to me, help me. Why can't you help me? And I was like, I'm, I'm going to show you the video and I'm going to help you. And it's my fault because I didn't work with you enough, even though we have worked plenty of times, on not overstriding, on not fooling with the bat. But if there's a hole in LeBron's game, because he's shoring up the hole of, he's, he, to this point before this year, his jump shot was not consistent, and he's shooting the ball better from three than he's ever shot it really consistently in his career. But there's a hole in his greatness and his leadership. It's that when things go wrong, he doesn't just go like, it's on me. Even when it, everybody knows it's not on him, that's especially when he should say it's on him. 
Be sure to catch live editions of the Doug Gottlieb Show weekdays at 3 p.m. Eastern, noon Pacific on Fox Sports Radio and the iHeartRadio app. Troy Vincent did this one thing. He's outlined the potential catch rule changes. Quote, we worked backwards. We looked at plays and says, do we want that to be a catch? And then we applied that rule. Slight movement of the ball. It looks like we'll reverse that. Going to the ground, it looks like that's going to be eliminated. And we'll go back to the old replay standard of reverse the call on the field only when it's indisputable. My advice to the NFL is the old K-I-S-S rule. Right? Keep it simple, stupid. This, we do this. This is what the NCAA is trying to do with their rule book. Like, don't pay your players. Don't change your grades. Don't pay your players. Don't change the grades. Everything else, eh. Because what happens is when you start to micromanage little things, like, well, you can, but this, but that, but that, then you get this huge rule book. That's what happened. That's what happened to the NFL. Frankly, that's what happened to college basketball. Right? Like, look, this would make it really simple for college basketball. Can't make the NCAA term if you have a below a 500 record in conference play. How about that one? Can't make it to the NCAA term. Like, well, that's not fair. It wouldn't be fair to teams that play in these ridiculous mega conferences and you finish 8-10 and 10 and you played a tougher league schedule. Like, okay, or finish 9-9. Then we don't have to judge whether or not your 99 is better. Create some sort of barrier. But when you start to, and college basketball did this with the, first we had the RPI, nobody liked it. Then they do the quadrant one and quadrant two. My thing is always, did you try and play somebody at a conference, yes or no? The answer is yes. Okay, then you can proceed on. Did you beat the best teams in your league? Were you better more often than you were, were you good more often than you were bad? But I, I look at this and I like, that's kind of what they're trying to do. Working backwards. Do we want that to be a catch? No, it's not that you want that to be a catch. It's do we have to, how many steps do we have to go through to determine whether or not, not a catch it looks like a catch and smells like a catch. Well then damn it. It's a catch. Who cares if the ball moves when it hits the ground is your hand underneath the ball when it hits the ground. Right? Is your is are both feet down? But the simple advice to the NFL is keep it simple, stupid. They want indisputable visual evidence. And honestly, basketball is in the same place. How many of these replays do we have with the NCAA tournament? Like, look, if it's indisputable, then it's indisputable. You do you do what the what is the definition? Ramos, you want to take a shot? I actually looked this up during the break. Do you know what uh, the it, it, the the uh, definition of indisputable is? Take a shot. Unmatched. Huh. It's uh, unable to be challenged or denied. Unmatched, sort of, but in this particular context, you're thinking of undispu- undisputed. This is indisputable. Oh, the in and the un. Yeah, of course. Okay. Incontrovertible, incontestable, undeniable, irrefutable. It's like, no doubt. Okay, so by definition, if you have to look at it from like 10 different angles, then there's some sort of doubt. I have a, I have a friend who has this as his belief. 
He's like, look, when they go to instant replay, why don't they have to look at instant replay in real time? Because if you have to go to slow motion, super slow motion, uh, did he touch the ball before it went out of bounds? If he does that, well, that's not the spirit of it. And look, I'm not a human error guy. I'm not somebody who goes like, you know what we should do tomorrow? We should bring human error back into flying planes, eliminate radar. No, no, no. Okay. But it's sports. It's sports. It, it is not supposed to be an exact science. Science is supposed to be an exact science. Sports is not supposed to be an exact science. Fox Sports Radio has the best sports talk lineup in the nation. Catch all of our shows at foxsportsradio.com and within the iHeartRadio app. The new head coach of the Georgia Bulldogs, Tom Crean, joins us on Fox Sports Radio. Coach, how are you? I'm doing great, Doug. Great to talk to you. Uh, okay, so last year it ends at Indiana, and I know there were there were people immediately who called you. Um, how close were you to taking a job immediately last year? I really wasn't. I mean, I had a couple of opportunities to to uh, really think about, and but I just it just wasn't right for me, especially right at the time that it happened, and and then I just I never really saw something. That I said, okay, this is. This is the one, and um, and there weren't that many because I really didn't have my mind around that. But but um, when this opportunity came, and there were a couple other people that I talked to, but when this opportunity came, and I was hoping that it would come once the decision had been made to make a change, and I was excited that it did, and it kind of moved fast. What was the what was the thing that you appreciated the most when you had the summer and you had no. You were not coaching a team. You were not recruiting. And I know in the fall you went and you saw all these teams and, of course, covering the game for ESPN, you still worked. So it wasn't like you weren't working. But was there, was there something you're like, man, I really like, I really like this that I didn't realize I could do if I wasn't coaching? Oh, uh, no. You know, I think what happened to me is it, is it took a little bit. One of the best things that happened was, was getting a chance to get at it right away. And so you get around basketball in, in the sense of like doing the final four, uh, for ESPN. And so you're around it that way. And, and then it's, it's some of the trips that I was able to make. And I don't know if it was that, but like, I realized early, like being angry and, and there was no way I was letting anything take my spirit or create a doubt, but there's no question that you get down, you get, you get upset with it. But like, I wasn't going to let my life because I certainly didn't want my family's life to be led that way. And we had so many changes going on with our son graduating from high school and our daughter graduating from college. And so I just really got around the fact quickly that I was going to enjoy this, not, not enjoy. I don't think you ever enjoy not having a team when you're coached, but I was going to enjoy the learning and being a part of different things. And it was really, really good for me in that sense. All right. So, um, all year you're coaching and you're a, everyone knows like, well, look, if they, they make a move, Tom Crean's a hot candidate. And now part of the thing is, you may you may take a job early and then a better one comes open late. What was it about Georgia that made you attracted to it? Well, there were actually even some some calls in this in the in the fall when things started to break. Okay, would you be possibly interested in this? And it's like I had no interest in any type of situation like that. It was more like where can you really go and build something long term? And I think once this, I've followed Georgia for a long time, coached against them. We were number one in the country. We played them in the Barclays 
one year. We played them, and then we played Georgetown right after. And so I've always looked at it, not only Georgia basketball and the SEC good, especially with what the SEC has been doing, but just being in this area. I mean, and just seeing the level of players, the level of talent, the level of caring. I mean, one of the best basketball environments I've ever been in in my life was when we played Kentucky in the Sweet 16 in 2012. Now, we ended up not winning the game, but the environment leading up to the game when we got into town and being around town, being around the practices, I mean, being around the, the dome for practice, and being in that environment, it was more than just Indiana and Kentucky fans and Xavier and Baylor. I mean, there was a real feeling in there. And I just think little things like that kind of add up over time, and, and they just kind of build your, your excitement. So I have no doubt that this thing can be fantastic. I mean, there's so many things here. I mean, look what all the other sports are doing. Look what football is doing just last year and the way they've built it. And then you get inside of the facilities in the school, which we hadn't even seen by the time we decided that when we were offered the job and accepted it. And then it just takes you to another place when you start to see it firsthand. So I think it's all here, and that's why I'm excited to be a part of it. We started our workouts at our first team meeting yesterday, Doug, at 2.45, and we were on the court by 3.40. And we just finished our second workout today because they just got back from spring break. So, like, we're right at it. And I think that's what's great about it, too. How are you a better basketball coach after the year off? We're going to find out. I think I, I think I definitely found some additions. I definitely found some things that we can add. I, I think pressure defense, uh, especially the three-quarter court way, I think really understanding what kind of personnel do you have to have to really win big. And it's not as much about what your style is. It's you have the personnel to play different styles. That you've got to have a change-up whether it's defensively, whether it's a, uh, a high-low game, you've got to have change-ups that you work on that are really, really good that can get you through tough times uh, inside of a game. And then it's just been more reiterated that the great ones, you know, whether it was pro football, pro basketball, watching players throughout the year, there is just absolutely no drop-off in their competitiveness. And part of their competitiveness is not just the time spent on getting better, but the, but the details and the way that they want it done, the way that they see it, and just continue to help players to continue to see the value of not only that determination and competitiveness, but how detailed you have to be to be any good at this. You know, it's, it's interesting you bring up the three-quarter court. Tom Crean joining us. He's a new head coach at Georgia, of course, previously at Marquette and at Indiana. Took Marquette to the Final Four, was number one in the country to Indiana. Um, you know, your, your mentor, one of your mentors, obviously, is Tom Izzo, who are your Uh, you're exceptionally close with and like look it's hard to be critical of a guy who's going to be a hall of famer has won a national championship been to the seven final fours but i I do think that that's kind of the the change up or the one thing they're missing is as fast as they want to play offensively the tradition of playing really hard man-to-man defense kind of allows other teams to to slow them down is that really the idea of there's like two parts to three quarter court defense? One, it shortens the length of time in which you have to play half court defense, and two, it offers you at least the possibility of speeding the other team up. Is that fair? I think so, and I think we when when I look at this team because there's 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 players here in the sense there's young talent, there's some older guys, and obviously losing Yante Mayton is a huge deal because of what he did, and but like watching these young guys and then having a chance to see them some during the summer. You know, when I'd be recruiting other people, like, there's length here. So it's not only the change-up of slowing, because I think people thought when the clock changed, 
there was going to be a lot more like everybody was just going to automatically get into the backcourt and try to take time off the shot clock. And there's a place for that. But there's also a bunch of places that you can trap and create some real problems for people. And I think that's what I want to be able to look at and do. But, but you're right. You've got to be able to you, you've got to be able to keep people off balance. And that's one thing at Indiana when we first started out and we were not very good at all, had all the, the walkouts and things like that. We had to find things that could just get us in the game. And I think so. I've always had to – I don't have any problem with making some changes, you know, having different defenses. But now you've got to have something that you don't just come out of the timeout and change it up. Like you can come out of that timeout and you can be in that for a long period of time. And I think more than ever that's been reiterated to me. And utilize your length, utilize your speed, have people, you know, if, if there's one thing that I probably did not put enough value on because we wanted so much skill in our forward position is how good you've got to have people at protecting the rim. And I had the chance to cover some tremendous rim protectors, none more so than Sagaball Kanate this year. And I had them a couple of different times. It's just amazing how good he is, not only at the rim and blocking shots and altering shots, but how good he is moving his feet. And yep. what happens is you see all these teams, they continue to attack the shot blocker off the dribble. And, and like Baylor, I had Baylor twice. But he had 16 blocks against Baylor. And, and it wasn't like Baylor was trying to get the shot blocked. He was just that good. So really getting down to really making sure that you have the right personnel, enough of the right personnel, and but never getting away from the fact you've got to have enough shooters. Yeah, it's, because it's, if there's one thing that I saw, there were there's not as many shooters as there needs to be. Yep. Now listen, I mean, this is it's it's really really interesting what the the things you're able to glean in just one year of covering the game uh, as a broadcaster. Tom Crean joining us on the, on the Doug Gottlieb show. Fascinating. You point out shooters and you point out Kanate because Kanate is going to match up with shooters and Villanova. What I like about Villanova, you mentioned, you know, change up in different styles. I do feel like they can play big and they can play small. They can play man. They can play zone. They can also heat you up a little bit with their pressure as opposed to West Virginia, who they kind of play one one way, one way, one way, one way, and then they want to force you to Kanate defensively. Give me a sense of that matchup. Nova, their experience, their ability to hit you from three, and their ability to kind of invert their offense using their bigs outside and posting up their point guard and Jalen Brunson, as opposed to Press Virginia, who we know what we're going to get, and by sheer force of will, they're going to try and beat you. What are your thoughts on that matchup? Well, I think you when you try to attack uh, West Virginia straight ahead, it allows the length of the forwards. Guys like West, uh, Ahmed, those guys, because they've got, I think the teams, the two teams that have the best length at the wing forward positions, all right, and can create the most havoc in matchup problems are West Virginia and Gonzaga. And I thought that all year long. And, and I know the Gonzaga guys might be a little bit younger, but they create issues. And I think West Virginia can do that. So if you're not moving the ball, which Villanova does. Villanova's going to have to get some back cuts, and, and I think they'll get them. Now, the problem is if Kanate's there because he can quick twitch and move so well it change in direction. I mean, he's, he is so good at, at, at being able to move his body. So they've got to play not just from the top. They've got to play off the slots and wings. They've got to get those guys into some long closeouts. They've got to look for some chances, especially with Bridges, to get some back cuts. But Spellman is going to have to have a good game. He's still going to have to be able to create some foul situations because you're not driving Kanate and getting to the foul line. You're not going to win the game that way. So they've got to get him lifted. Spellman's got to be able to do that. At the same time, they've got to find a way to get some something at the rim when he's not there. And I think their movement would allow them to do that. But at the same time, 
they're going to put West Virginia can put so much pressure on your decision making when you get around half court, right before and right after, with the one on one matchups with Carter, and then when they bring a trap over there, that it can really it can really disrupt you. And I think they're going to have to do that uh, to Brunson too, and 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 try to slow that offense down once it gets make it harder for them to get their half court offense going with the drive and kick. And I think they can do that in that half court area. Uh, you you guys, when you were number one in the country, you lost to Syracuse in the Sweet Sixteen. Mm-hmm. And I remember, I remember talking to the Syracuse coaches. I was covering the game at the time. They're like, "Look, he's he's such a smart coach that he's going to spend the week putting in things, and and they're going to have great they're going to have great looks. But we're going to adjust at the half, and we'll kind of figure out what they're doing. And at the end of the day, you just kind of got to run zone offense and and keep attacking us to beat us. Uh, what do you think about Duke and how? They attack Syracuse as a you know they kind of similar situation except they've seen the zone before earlier this year. The week in preparation, do you spend it putting things in? Do you just attack and just play basketball? If you could go back and you're in that Duke locker room, obviously different personnel than you had. How would you go about it? Well, one of the big problems for us, and this is where I think this helps too. We, we it, it, small guards. Yogi Ferrell had not seen links like that. Jordan Halls had gotten hurt in the Temple game. He didn't practice live the entire week. We shot, he had to take a quarter zone shot 30 minutes, 45 minutes before the game. You know, he had just shot the ball that week. He'd not gone against anything live. That length just stifles you. And I think for Duke, because of the way Trent moves, they're going to have to get into the paint. I still think attacking it out of the middle with a guy that can make plays. And, and Jay Wright told me something one time that really made a lot of sense. He told me after this game, he said, when the referees decide that Syracuse is not fouling in that zone, it is impossible to beat them. And I would go back to that game, and we went back. There were definitely some situations. I'm not saying we'd beat them that night, but there were definitely some situations where we should have been getting to the foul line. So how the game is called in the middle of the paint is going to be crucial inside of that game. But you've got to screen the wings some. You've got to be able to throw it over the top. But you've got to be able to make plays from the middle if things break down. And I know that they, they don't believe that teams can beat you with the foul line jump shot. Yep. And that's where driving and being able to play one-on-one down the lane creates a little bit of an issue. But I still think screen the top and, and, and really try to I, – I would hit the wing as much as possible. If we had to do over again, we would come off the ball screen on the top, don't even try to score off that ball screen, throw it right away to the wing, have a corner loaded, and try to put a triangle – on that weak side and just go inside and see what happens. Because they close so quick back down to the corner. And again, you get in that game and your team's just baffled by how long they are. Now Duke will have the advantage because they've played them, so they know that. But Trent's got to have a big game inside of that game, too, I think. He's got to make, you know, five threes, four threes, something like that, because that gives them another added bonus there. Right. And and the, the difference in this Syracuse team, the one you played, they don't score it as well as the team that, that you played against. No. So they can't they can't run no, away. Michael Carter Williams had an unbelievable game. Like yeah. He had the best game of his college career that night. We, yeah. you know, we just couldn't guard him as well. Yeah, he made some he made some he made some money made some money that night. Listen, I, I know did. it's a I know look, it's a they there's a lot of players in Georgia, but it's it, it's different than Indiana in terms of people want to see it before they really re- ready to buy in. I wish you nothing but success. Uh thanks so much for joining us on uh, on Fox Sports Radio. Anytime, Doug. I really appreciate it. Thank All right, you. That's Tom Crane, who had a great year as a broadcaster. Now back in it as a head coach with the dogs.
I'm Diosa. And I'm Mala. We are the creators of Locatora Radio, a radiophonic novella, which is a fancy way of saying a, a podcast. podcast. Welcome to Locatora Radio Season 9. Love, Love at first, first listen. listen. We're older, we're wiser, and we're podcasting through a new decade of our lives. This season, we're falling in love with podcasting all over again. And getting to the heart of our stories. We're going places we've never gone before, and we're bringing you along with us. With new segments, correspondence, and a brand new sound. Season 9 is kicking off with an intimate interview with Grammy Award-winning singer-songwriter Natalia Laforcade. What's giving you hope right now? Well, when I see See what music does to people. It gives me a lot of hope. If you liked Locatora before, you're going to love Season 9. Subscribe to our show and you'll see why Locatora is your prima's favorite podcast. Listen to Locatora Radio as part of the Michael Cultura Podcast Network, available on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. More Than a Movie is back with Season 2. I'm your host, Alex Fumero. And each week, I'm going to talk to the people behind your favorite movies. From The Godfather, Andy Garcia. He has the smarts of Vito, the temper of Sonny, the warmth of Fredo, and the coldness of Michael. To the legend behind La Bamba, Lou Diamond Phillips. When I walked in, I didn't think I had a shot at Richie. Because John Stamos's picture was already up on the wall. Listen to More Than a Movie on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is getting you ready for the 2024 NFL Draft. I'm your host, Andrew Levy, and I'll be delivering two shows a week to make sure you're caught up on the very latest NFL news, including every free agency move and how it changes the draft needs of your favorite team. Draft experts and talent scouts, mock drafts, and a few shock drafts, too. NFL Total Access, the podcast, is already on the clock on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. If you love sports and true crime, then there's a new podcast from executive producer Dan Patrick and hosted by me, Jay Harris, that you won't want to miss. Playing Dirty Sports Scandals. Each week, I'm squeezing the juiciest details from some of the biggest sports scandals ever. I'm talking Marcus Dixon, Olympic gymnastics, Kane Velasquez, salacious Super Bowl-level scandals, Join me on the dark side of sports by listening to Playing Dirty Sports Scandals on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. What's up, everybody? This is Stephen A. Smith, host of the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast. Tune in every Monday, Wednesday, and Friday at the very least as I bring you all new episodes that feature the biggest headlines in the world of sports, pop culture, business, and I answer your phone calls and respond to your tweets. You'll hear my unfiltered opinions and straight-shooter interviews with top celebrities and game changers. All that and more. So listen to the Stephen A. Smith Show podcast on the iHeartRadio app, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts.